Part One, Chapter Five of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Congratulating Anna Pavlovna on what they called her charmante soirée, the guests began to take their departure. Pierre, as has been already said, was awkward, stout, of more than the average height, broad-shouldered, with huge red hands. He had no idea of the proper way to enter a drawing-room, and still less the proper way of making his exit. In other words, he did not know how to make some especially agreeable remark to his hostess before taking his leave. Moreover, he was absent-minded. He got up, and instead of taking his own cap, he seized the plumed three-cornered hat of some general, and held it, pulling at the feathers until the general came and asked him to surrender it but all his absent-mindedness and clumsiness about entering a drawing-room, and his zeal in putting forward his own ideas, were redeemed by his expression of genuine goodness, simplicity, and modesty. Anna Pavlovna turned to him, and with Christian sweetness, expressing her forgiveness for his behavior, nodded to him, and said, I hope I shall see you again, but I shall hope also that you will change your opinions, my dear Monsieur Pierre, said she. He could find no words to answer her. He only bowed, and again they all saw his smile, which really said nothing except this. Opinions are opinions, and you can see what a good and noble young man I am. And all, Anna Pavlovna included, could not help feeling that this was so. Prince Andrei went into the entry, allowed the lackey to throw his mantle over his shoulders, and with cool indifference listened to the chatter of his wife and Prince Ippolit, who had also come into the entry. Prince Ippolit stood near the pretty little princess, and stared straight at her through his eyeglasses. "'Go back, Annette. You will take cold,' said the little princess, by way of farewell to Anna Pavlovna. "'It is all understood,' she added in an undertone. Anna Pavlovna had already had a chance to speak a word with Lisa, in regard to the suggested match between Anatole and the little princess's sister-in-law. "'I shall depend upon you, my dear,' said Anna Pavlovna, also in an undertone. "'You write to her, and tell me, comment le père envisère choix la chose, how the father will look at it. Au revoir,' and she went back from the entry. Prince Hippolyte came to the little princess, and bending his face down close to her began to talk to her in a half-whisper. Two lackeys, one the princess's, holding her shawl, the other his, with his overcoat, stood waiting until they should finish talking, and listened to their chatter, which being in French was incomprehensible, but their faces seemed to say, We understand, but we do not care to show it. The princess, as always, smiled as she spoke, and listened, laughing gaily. I am very glad that I did not go to the ambassadors, said Prince Hippolyte. A bore, We've had a lovely evening, haven't we? A lovely evening. They say it will be a very fine ball, replied the princess, curling her downy lip. All the pretty women in society will be there. Not all, because you are not there. Certainly not all, said Prince Hippolyte, gaily laughing, and taking the shawl from the servant, he even pushed him away and began to wrap it round the princess. Either through awkwardness or intentionally, no one could tell which, it was a long time before he took his arms away from her, even after the shawl was wrapped around her, and he seemed almost to be embracing the young woman. She gracefully, 
and with a smile on her lips, drew back a little, turned around, and glanced at her husband. Prince Andrei's eyes were closed. He seemed so tired and sleepy. "'Are you ready?' he asked, giving his wife a hasty glance. Prince Ippolit hastily put on his overcoat, which being in the latest style came to his heels, and stumbling along in it rushed to the steps after the princess, whom the lackey was assisting into the carriage. "'Princess, au revoir!' he cried, his tongue as badly entangled as his feet. The princess, gathering up her dress, took her seat in the darkness of the carriage. Her husband was arranging his sword. Prince Ippolit, in his efforts to be of assistance, was in everybody's way. "'Excuse me, sir,' said Prince Andrei in Russian, in a cold, disagreeable tone, addressing Ippolit, who stood in his way. "'I shall expect you, Pierre,' said the same voice, but warmly and affectionately. The postillion whipped up the horses, and the carriage rolled noisily away. Prince Ippolit laughed spasmodically as he stood on the steps, waiting for the viscount whom he had promised to take home. "'Eh bien, mon cher, votre petite princesse est très bien, très bien,' said the viscount, as he took his seat in the carriage with Ippolit. "'Mais très bien,' he kissed the tips of his fingers. "'Et tout à fait française,' Ippolit rolled with laughter. "'And do you know you are terrible with your little innocent ways?' continued the viscount. "'I pity the poor husband, that little officer who puts on the airs of a reigning prince.' Ippolit again went off into a burst of laughter, though he managed to articulate, "'And yet you were saying that the Russian ladies were not anywhere equal to the French ladies. One must be able to show a little skill.' Pierre, being the first to reach the house, went into Prince Andrei's own room, like one thoroughly at home, and immediately stretching himself out on the sofa, as his habit was, took up the first book that he found on the shelf. It was Caesar's Commentaries, and leaning his elbow began to read in the middle of the volume. "'What have you been doing to Mademoiselle Cher? She will be quite laid up now,' said Prince Andrei, coming into the room and rubbing his small white hands together. Pierre turned over with his whole body, making the sofa creak looked up at Prince Andrei with his eager face, smiled, and waved his hand. "'No,' said he, "'that abbé is very interesting, only he does not understand the matter aright. In my opinion, permanent peace is possible, but I cannot tell how, certainly not through the balance of power.' Prince Andrei was evidently not interested in these abstract questions. "'It is impossible, mon cher, always and everywhere, to say what you think.' but have you come to any final decision yet as to your career? Will you be a horse guardsman or a diplomat? asked Prince Andrei, after a moment's silence. Pierre sat up on the sofa, doubling his legs under him. Can you imagine? I have not as yet the slightest idea. Neither the one nor the other pleases me. But see here, you must come to some decision. Your father is waiting." Pierre, at the age of ten, had been sent abroad, with an abbé for a tutor, and had remained there till he was twenty. On his return to Moscow, his father dismissed the abbé, and said to the young man, "'Now go to Petersburg, look about, and take your choice. I give my consent to anything. Here is a letter to Prince Vasily, and here is money for you. Write me about everything, and I will help you in any way.' Pierre had been trying for three months to choose a career and had not succeeded. 
It was in regard to this choice that Prince Andrei spoke. Pierre rubbed his forehead. But he must be a Freemason, said he, referring to the abbe, whom he had met that evening. That is all nonsense, said Prince Andrei, again stopping him short. Let us talk about your affairs. Have you been to the house guards? No, not yet. But here is an idea that occurred to me, and I wanted to tell you, now that there is war against Napoleon. If it had been a war for freedom, I should have taken part. I should have been the first to enter the military service. But to help England and Austria against the greatest man in the world, that is not good. Prince Andrei merely shrugged his shoulders at Pierre's childish talk. He made believe that it was impossible to reply to such stupidities, but in reality it was difficult to answer this naive question in any way other than Prince Andrei did answer it. If all men made war only for their convictions, there wouldn't be any war, said he. That would be splendid, said Pierre. Prince Andrei laughed. Very likely that would be splendid, but it will never be. Now, why are you going to war? asked Pierre. Why? I'm sure I don't know. It must be so. Besides, I'm going, he paused. I am going because the life which I lead here, my life, is not to my mind. End of chapter 5